Thank you, worship team. Of course, our first through fifth are being dismissed right now. Good morning to all of you. Good to see all of you. If you're making your way in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 127, Psalm 127. Glad there are people here today. I got to ask, is this a six weeks vacation for us too? I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> There's lots of stuff going on. <laughs> well, good to see all of you. Let me get my Bible turned on here. Psalm 127. Uh, this came out of some just reading I had been doing and um, couldn't, I'm hearing some ringing, I got that. And I couldn't get over this chapter. Um, I actually used it this week in another instance, um, just that first verse. But I just kept going over it and over it. And I'd go put it down and it'd come back to me again, go over it and over it. And so the Lord began to kind of impress and work and impress and work and Kind of beat it through my thick, stubborn skull that I needed to get out of this. And then it was obvious this is what the Lord wanted us to talk about as well. So Psalm 127, of course, if you recognize that title, that, that would be the King James out of Ecclesiastes 1, but it's also the author of Psalm 127. We're going to read the whole psalm, it's five verses. A song of accents, we'll get to what that is in just a moment, of Solomon. So let's begin. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is in vain. Notice a theme. It is in vain that you rise up early, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. I don't know if you remember this commercial, but it was an infinity television commercial that was on for a while. I'm going to give you some kind of the word behind it. Believe it or not, I looked, up, looked it up. I couldn't find it, which proves that I'm old, and that's fine. Um, not on YouTube anywhere, but I really think this starts encapsulating some of our thoughts today and gets us kind of started. A television commercial for Infinity, the Japanese luxury car air, air, uh, import that aired a good long time ago, started with some provocative questions, such as, why do you work so hard? Ooh, what's this about? Why do you start so early and stay late? Why do you care? It must be an amazing car. Good questions, it said. Why indeed? And then infinity, and you saw the car. And it said, thinking of you. You mean they're thinking of me as I'm working hard? 
They're thinking of me as I'm toiling about the day. I need that car, right? Think about it from another perspective. You mean my entire life's work and effort and struggle and toil is so I can get a depreciating asset the second I drive it off the lot? (laughs) That's it? (laughs) You mean that's the sum of life? That's it? (laughs) And I love infinity, just so you know. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Then there's the t-shirt. The one who dies with the most toys, what is it? Yes, wins. That's the front of the t-shirt. On the back it says, but he dies nevertheless. But he dies nevertheless. And who would know more about this than Solomon? The wisest man who ever lived. This is one of two psalms attributed to him, depending on who you read. I will tell you, there is some debate about who wrote this. Was it David written to Solomon? Or was it Solomon understanding a lot of, uh, of, the, of this toil and life's riches? And in his wisdom, he wrote it. I, will, I contend it's Solomon for a couple of reasons. First of all, as you noticed in the first two verses, right, what's the main word that's repeated over and over? Vain. Useless, nothing, right? And then there's also this little clue at the end of verse 2. It says, eating the bread of his anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sheep. So that beloved, sleep, excuse me, not sheep. We don't need sheep, we need sleep. Beloved, (laughs) beloved sleep. That word beloved translated in Hebrew was, a, was the name that God gave Solomon, Jedidiah, meaning beloved of Jehovah. So I contend this was absolutely written by Solomon. But when we see also a psalm of ascent, what does that mean? Well, I kind of put it like a road trip playlist. Because from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, as, they were, as the Jewish people would make their journey to Jerusalem for the annual feast, this is the song they would sing to themselves. So it was part of their playlist. Now there's a lot in here, and if you'll notice in that first chapter, in the chapter, there's kind of two verses, and maybe in your Bibles there's a touch of separation, giving you there's two real thoughts. Even in our notes, point three, more or less, is a wrap-up. It's not an additional thought. Why? Because really, this chapter can be listed in one verses one and two, and then verses three and five. And Solomon, as I said, knowing of what he's speaking of, gives us the importance of building a home, the importance of protection, right, in the first couple of verses. Of course, when I think of those things, I am a control enthusiast, as some of you know. Um, I'll admit I struggle with some of this. I believe that's why the Lord kept hammering and hammering again and again. Let's break, let's break up the first two uh, verses real quick, and then we'll go to our points. I can promise you, you will get out in plenty of time for lunch today. Um, I'm up here. <laughs> Verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, or those who build it, labor in vain. 
When I think of this first, very first verse, I think of a person in our church that passed away a few years ago that I had the opportunity to get to know in a very short amount of time. He always sat right over here when we had tables back here. He always had peppermints in his pocket because, of course, the kids would come ask for candy. But that person's Quincy Waters. And Quincy was saved at the age of 40, only a year younger than I am. And I remember him telling me the whole, the whole thing of him accepting Christ. And he said, you know, the Lord gave me 40 years that amount to not much spiritually. In fact, in fact, amount to nothing. But he said, I asked the Lord if he would give me 40 more, they would be all his. This is a man that would go on a one or two or three week uh, mission trip. If you've been on a longer mission trip, that's what we call about the dead time. Like, okay, Lord, I really like America. Can you please send me back? <laughs> right? Instead, he would call Miss Elaine and say, hey, um, I'm going to be a few more weeks. We've got more work to do here. And so I don't know exactly when I'm coming home, when we'll come home when we're supposed to come home. And it could literally be another one, two, three more weeks. Here's a person that in, in spite of the fact he was saved at middle age, his house began to be built by the Lord. What a great living testimony and example. Um, in verse 1, the primary reference is to the actual building of a residence. But then again, if Solomon is the writer, which I believe he is, okay, there's lots of things Solomon can be referring to. Why? Because he was called to build the temple, right? David had collected all of these items, everything necessary so Solomon could build this temple. But in Jewish culture, as they would read this, it's much more than just building a house, it's building a home. When a Jewish warrior would go out and fight, his number one concern, of course, at first is on the front line. His number two thought is always in Jewish culture, as always in any event, was how his family was doing. Was his family being run properly? Was it prosperous? And of course, you go to the second half of this psalm, and this absolutely refers to the family as well as the, the, this physical structure. And in verse 1, we also see that the belief that human effort is useless apart from God. Human effort. Think about our current society. Everything's built on having this house, having it made just like you want it made, having everything you need in there, have it furnished properly, having you several, not one automobiles, you need several, right? Why? Because that's the American dream. None of those are bad. But I can tell you, if they're all built with human effort apart from God, you can forget it. It will go away. I've seen it. I've lived it. Beautiful home. Everything that you could want. Sifted. Why? Because it wasn't built by God. It was built by man's effort. And men are told, hey, leader of the home, get to work. You're in control. You got to lead. But some, at some point, we can miss the boat. Now, this, this passage is absolutely not talking against work. Work is good. And so we're going to talk about that just for a, for a few moments in point one. Three encouraging truths about work. Three encouraging truths about work. If you're discouraged at your current job or through your weekly labor, maybe this will help you some. In verse one and verse two, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor in vain, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. 
What we find is, and the easiest first point there is God, this is the first one of the encouraging truths, God works. When we think of God's works, though, immediately I believe our minds go to one specific instance, right? Creation, right? God worked on each one of those six days and then gave us rest. He brought light out of darkness, separated dry land from water, caused the land to, pro- to produce amazing variety of trees, shrubs, plants, created animals, birds, and fish, and eventually would make everything, including man himself. And then what did he do? He gave Adam and Eve work, right? said, your job is to manage all of this, to rule over the fish of the sea, as Genesis 1.28 says, and the birds of the air, and every living creature that moves on the ground. So what we find right off the first bat is God's pro-work, God's pro-producing, having a job, being productive, right? Um, we may not hear that all the time, but the Bible didn't change. And so God's pro-work. And work is good. How many at the end of a day, man, you put in a full day's work and you're just like, you can go to sleep resting, no, I gave it everything today. Lord's in control, but I gave it everything today. God does work in, with, and through those who are working for him and in his name. God does work in. If you're ever going to give anything for God or be anything for God, it needs to start here first. God's got to do something to you. Then God works with us to accomplish the goal, the task of whatever he's called us to do. And Lord willing, in the things that we do here and, and, and out and about, God's working through us. Whether it's just your daily job and the effort that you put in, how you talk to others, what you say, what you don't say, how encouraging you are, lifting others up. And it can be in spite of what could be a negative environment. Of, I mean, an, an environment that is just sold out to man and man's effort and man's work. You can be a light. I mean, there are people in this room that are that. I can tell you. They send me, hey, pray for this person. I'm, I'm going to have the opportunity to speak to them about Jesus on some level. Hey, pray for this person. I've been praying for them for a long time. I've been talking to them for a long time. It's a coworker, and I want them to come to know Christ. What they're saying is, I want the Lord to work in and through me. Number two of our three encouraging thoughts about work. God makes work, makes our work meaningful. God makes our work meaningful. I have to make sure that we bathe this in what the verses say and not exactly how we feel all the time. Because there are times, no matter what area of work you're in, that it doesn't necessarily feel meaningful. You kind of wonder, like, what what did we accomplish today? Or what was accomplished today? What, What are we doing? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? We have all these questions and we seem to leave God's sovereignty out of this part of life. Oh, please give me the right job. Wait a minute, if God's sovereign, you're going to be in the right job. Lord, please give me the right thing to say. Wait a minute, if God's sovereign, you're going to say the right thing. Lord, please help me impact those around. Well, hold up. Again, this sovereignty isn't just about salvation. It's more about living it out every day. We're reminded that the Lord builds the house. So if your household, if my household is structured around me and what I want and my desire around, hey, 
maybe it's all about the kids, right? That's not the Lord building the house. That's your work and your effort. The Lord watches over the city. In other words, the work of God didn't stop on the seventh day of creation. Aren't you thankful for that? That he didn't quit? Because, buddy, if he did, I can tell you I would have. If he had quit, I'd be like, listen, he did a whole lot more than I'm ever going to do, and he did it in seven days, man. Let's just go and take a rest. No, God's work doesn't stop. Part of what God does is he works in, with, and through those who are working behind, on behalf of his name. And let me just speak to you that maybe you're in a job that you don't find either value, maybe it's not exactly what you want to do, when you have those moments at night or by yourself or just daily frustrations, to remember there's some meaning behind all this. And by the way, we may never, not know, we may never know what it is when we're on earth. But you would be surprised at what having a, and I don't mean just a health and wealth, happy-go-lucky attitude, but I mean a, what I think is a spiritual positive attitude at work, what it does. The fact that God allowed you to wake up. God gave you the job that you have. God gave you the place to work. He gave the people around you to work. Then it doesn't become as much about what you do, but who you are and what you're doing, what God's doing in and through. And so it can be a negative place. And this is, by the way, where the devil will creep in, right? And discourage. You start trying to think, what's the value of this? Hold up, my value is not found in what I do. It's who he is. Right? God makes work meaningful. Number three, an encouraging thought about work. God rewards our work for him. Number three, God rewards our work for him. I don't know about you, I love prizes. Man, I want a prize, man. Okay? I mean, at the end, whether it's the end of a season, end of whatever. I mean, what, what, what's the goal? What's the point? I like prizes. I love giving kids prizes. Sometimes I even get in trouble in here about that. Like, parents are like, could you please stop giving 10 and 12 pieces of candy to this one child? <laughs> okay? But I love that, right? They've done well. They've worked hard. And so, oh, you're just buying. Oh, hold up. Jesus gave prizes? Jesus gave prizes. Those 20-something thousand people that came to hear him preach, they all got fed. That's a prize. <laughs> right? That's a Chick-fil-A gift card before there was a Chick-fil-A gift card. I guess that should be like fish filet maybe. Oh, like that, fish filet. There you go. God rewards our work. First part of this psalm tells us without our work, without God working in us and through us, and without God doing the work, it's what? It's useless. But the second, verse 2 gives us some blessings for our work. This change from the negative now to the positive. He grants what? Sleep. He grants sleep to those he loves. Some of y'all are great at that. I envy you. You know what I'm saying? Now, I do, sometimes I do better not, and they'll tell you, I sleep really well in my chair. Like, I'll just doze off in my chair. But there is something about getting a quality, restful, sleep and enjoying rest in this work what what this whole world's been about what have you done what are you producing what are you doing what are you doing there is something built into the fact that God gives rest time away time to breathe 
time to just refresh, to come up with, to, to wake up again. I'm in this process of not drinking coffee. And for some of you, you may know, coffee was a big part of my life. So I'm about three months in. I've had two coffees in the last three months. And so every time I come in to work, you awake yet? No. <laughs> and leave me alone. <laughs> I haven't had my five shots of, of espresso yet, right? But I notice the more you sleep and actually get real rest, the actual need for caffeine doesn't have to, you don't have to have it. And you're speaking to somebody who was, oh, he was all about it. But you don't have to have it. Now, rest is also can be difficult for some of us, especially if we miss the point that if God hasn't built, if God hasn't worked, if God hasn't watched over, all right, we think it's all up to us, then sleep can definitely be difficult. The statement suggests having having worked for God and at God's direction. Now, after this work is completed, rest is now given. I've got uh, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And we know that part. But this is the awesome part of Colossians 3, 23 and 24. It's verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. And in the baseline, who are you serving? Well, you're serving the Lord Christ. Paul reminded these Colossians, no matter what you're doing, it is for Christ. And this valuable reward comes after much labor. You know, I think of of some of the funerals I've had the opportunity to go to recently. And the funeral of those who knew the Lord, and man, you just knew their testimony, like a Miss Maggie. Miss Maggie didn't need anybody to preach her funeral. She did it her entire life. And you're talking about someone that even at the end was strong about prayer, spending hours of prayer. But can you imagine the rest she experienced in heaven? Can you imagine the reward she was given after a very long life on earth? That's what we all, that should be our aspiration, not the next whatever item that we think will bring us a moment of satisfaction. I mean, will bring us full satisfaction. It only brings a moment. So we have number one there. And when I finish, as we finish this, and I think of the watchman, um, I can be very um, OCD about some things in my house, no matter what house we've ever lived in or even an apartment. I want to make sure every single door is locked properly, right? And then I want to make sure every deadbolt is turned, of course, because to me, locking the door is worthless unless the deadbolt's turned as well. And so every night I go through the, I'll sit and lay in bed a minute and I'll be like, did I lock every door? Oh, I bet that garage door's unlocked on top. Oh no, I bet this other, oh man, we forgot this one. Okay, well, I'll either ask Riley because he's able or I'll walk down. <laughs> and start locking the doors again and again. And then I saw this video recently of how easy it is to break, to kick through those doors. <laughs> and so I'm sitting at like 2 a.m. in the morning, and I'm like, well, Lord, everything's locked up. And it was almost like a, just a soothing reminder. Um, I'm not relying on locked doors. God doesn't need my locked doors. Now, I'm not telling you not to do that. I will continue to do it. 
okay? But God doesn't need that. It isn't up to me to be the protection. In reality, if somebody broke in, I'd never hear it. <laughs> I mean, literally. The dog barks incessantly, and I don't have my hearing aids on. I don't hear anything. I'd be long gone. But it's not all up to me. In fact, ultimately, it's not up to any of us. Who's it up to? The Lord. The same one who entrusts and empowers. Number two. The blessings of the God, big key word, designed family. The blessings of the God designed family. Verses three to five. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. So understand, all, all kids ultimately are what? Blessings and given by God. But specifically speaking in this culture, it's important to understand really three, four, and five. That when it says children, like in verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. It's not necessarily really talking about children in the sense of a full family. It's talking specifically about sons, right? So the hand of a warrior are the sons of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Specifically speaking, when a enemy would come and attack, it was up to the who. At some point, dad couldn't, get, couldn't go work and he couldn't get out there anymore, right? He couldn't move well. It was up to the sons to go. So when we talk about this section, while we are speaking of family, I want to make sure we're talking about in context. And when a Jewish person would have read this, they would have known exactly uh, the cultural significance of the way it was written, that were children specifically talking about boys, but back to our whole theme here, um, under the blessings of God's designed family, the growth of the family is God's work. The growth of the family is God's work. Back to Genesis one twenty-eight, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fulfill the earth. God builds the house and the family to live in it. He guards the city. He raises up the family to be protected. Of course, in Old, in Old Testament, we're thinking of walls surrounding a city, right? But how quickly those walls could come down. I mean, Jesus, I mean, excuse me, not Jesus. God used song, mouths to bring walls down. But what, a, what a testimony of power and also how small we are. You mean to tell me this army can't handle? Ultimately, if God's not behind it, no. They can't. Let's go to this next section, and this is where I think it speaks to exactly where we are in society. Next point is God's blessings on society begin with his work in and through the family. Not in and through the government, not in and through anything else, programs, the family. God instituted this. This is his idea. Now, if you look at, look at Psalm 128, which we're not going to do, you'll see the kind of the flip. Instead of it saying, starting out with the home, it's the opposite. It goes to the, 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 builds the family and then builds protection. So both of these would kind of go together. But as we've seen in America, uh, families are on the decline. 
And as families have declined, what's followed suit? Society has declined to the point that when you go to a local football game, these schools only play each other in this one event all year. Why? Well, because there's not enough police to prevent the problems that are going to, going to be ensued at a football game. When you walk through the doors, I mean, the, the gate, and you just see nothing but lined police officers. The new standard and new rule now in town, by the way, this is Anderson, okay? So don't think this is somewhere else. Is if you bring a, if a child goes to a game, a parent must come with them. Why? Because last year there were significant issues. So Hannah and Westside, now the only time they'll play all year in any sport has already taken place. And I'm going to tell you, if you wanted to rob a bank, during, you could have done it during the game because all of Anderson County Police Department was there. <laughs> and when we think of America's in decline, but we think of maybe somewhere way up north or somewhere way to the west, no, it's, it's, it's right here. It, it, it's right here. Families are disintegrating, children are neglected, and the frequency and magnitude of violent crimes are soaring. This article, this news, was six days ago, so I didn't have to go far. Okay? There's a serious need for foster parents. Oh, in South Carolina, duh. I mean, yeah, we need some in South Carolina. Nope. In the upstate. Currently, there's a need for over 670 foster homes. Because just in the upstate Bible Belt, past a church on the way to church, right? There's 1,200 children who need a place. And it goes on and on about how you can do all that. That's not, I'm not advertising for you to do that. I'm showing you this is where we are. This is the world that you live in. And so many times, well, I remember, well, you know what? You can remember all day of what it was like when I was a kid or when you were a kid or 20 or 30 or 40, 50 years ago. We're never going to go back to that. The Bible's pretty clear on that, by the way. It's not like we're going to become more and more holy as a society. No. Man, this is really encouraging on a Sunday morning, Brandon. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Okay. No, it is encouraging. Why? Because we have the truth. We should have strong families. We shouldn't be find, finding ways to bail out a family. It, our, our numbers of broken homes shouldn't mirror society. But you know what that means? We have to be serious about who builds and works on our families. Because every time we turn on the television, pick up a cell phone, talk to a friend, there's something else negative bringing you down. I can't believe you had a kid in this era. I can't believe, surely you're not going to make it. You've been married for 20 years. They would have laughed at us. This society would have laughed at us. Like, really? Is that bad? You've got every creature comfort there's to have. And now it's almost like, oh, yeah, this classmate's divorced, remarried, tried again, tried a second or third time. We forget these, the, that, this particular institution, right, was started, was founded, was created by God, not to be destroyed. And, and let me just say, that doesn't mean every day or every year, every month is going to be very easy. You can read all throughout the Old Testament. Take a look at some of those minor prophets, what they went home to, or who wasn't there when they came home. And by the way, Men are just as responsible. It's about time we get serious about the fact that if God's going to bless our society or change America, he better start inside my house first. I better stop and listen 
and obey and be in his word and saturate my kids with his word and saturate me and my wife with his word so that as we go out and deal with what's outside, we can be prepared and he can do the work for us. We can rest in what he's doing. We find unbelievable ways to complain about the way things are. When we don't tend to look and say, hey, how am I responsible for this? What am I doing that's responsible for this? We talk about schools, oh, they're just bad, you know? Why? Well, because there's no dad at home. Or if there is a mom or dad at home, they're busy doing something else. Well, what do we need to do? Number one, if there's a class, you need to take it. If there's an opportunity to grow in Scripture, you need to take it. It's not going to just metamorphose just into your brain. We got, we got to take advantage of these opportunities. This, the video that was played about, let me say this. I had heard like have a word or something. I had not really gotten too deep into that until I heard Deanna talking about it one day. So then I was like, Lord, what do you want me to study? I would do these studies, but I was like, where, where are we going? And uh, sometimes it's more than a year because if you're, Hard-headed, it takes more than 12 months to get it through your head. But I'll tell you, I know I can tell you exactly what the Lord's been impressed upon me to study, and He's already put it on me, and I think it'll be all next year, maybe the year after that. Why? Because I'm a very stubborn individual. Stubborn's good if it's about the right thing. Right? But too bad my flesh is involved. But it's about time we stop complaining and start listening and trusting. And by the way, when we hear these negative things and these, I mean, good night, 1,200 kids don't have a home to go to. By the way, you know how real, this isn't just like something of a fantasy. I lived in a town where the fourth floor of an entire hotel, okay, was bought up by DSS so that they could house kids. Again, I'm not saying you need to go take in 100 kids inside your house. But you can also be the light so when your kids go to school and these kids, they interact with these children, they can encourage, love, and Lord willing, lead them to Christ. Because that's what's going to change society. Not more dollars given to DSS. And I'm a big fan of this. Our current DSS in this county, you need to pray for those people. They are Jesus-following people. Many of them are your brothers and sisters. You're going to see them in heaven. They ought to be on your prayer list. Next one under this is God, godly families grow slow. And I actually cut off a part of this note. I didn't know if I really wanted you to write this down. You can write this down. I think it's important. And may not impress others was the other part of this note. I shortened it. But godly families grow slow. You haven't seen these, these people in a while, and maybe they see your kids, or maybe they just see you and like, whoa, man, over the summer, you're, they grew up. Isn't it how interesting how quick even parents don't necessarily see how quick their kids grow? Well, because if there's a mama, they always see that little boy. I wish I saw a little boy. <laughs> I, don't, I see a bald dude, <laughs> right? But how quickly, quickly. We look back and like, what happened? Because it's such a slow, incremental growth. Go to Psalm 1 for me. 
It should come on the screen, or you can look on the screen if you like. We're not going to read this whole, whole thing at all. Uh, these first, but I want to look at one part of Psalm 1, really. It said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Here's the verse I want you to key in on, verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Trees don't grow up overnight, do they? You ever had to cut down a tree in your yard? Like part of me just dies like inside. Like, can I can't, come on, how long has this tree been here? What history does this tree know? Like it's a person or something. I don't know anything, right? <laughs> right? But then you cut that tree, and if it is true about the rings, some people don't necessarily believe that, but you cut that, and you see how old this tree is and all that it's seen, but how long it took to grow. We live in an instant microwave society that if i got to wait more than three minutes in the drive-thru, there's a problem, right? And yet, that's not, again, shockingly enough, the way the world works is not how God works. Very slow. Now, this is encouraging from the simple fact that if you are not where you think you should be, man, I should be further along. We're not the measuring stick. He is. And you may be exactly where he wants you to be. Wait a minute, sovereignty again. Oh, you are exactly where he wants you to be. Why? Because he's in control. And these frustrations about I'm not doing or I should be doing more, that is from the deceiver, the, the, the discourager, the devil. That is not what's in Scripture. In fact, Scripture tells us we're all going to be trees. If we're a believer up against unbelievable water, we're going to grow. Now, there's a, you're part in that too. You've got to get serious about it. There's another one of these examples, and I gave you the references. But Abraham is just another example about how things happen slow, how a whole nation is born very slow. He was given this covenant of the Old Testament. This is how we're going to make a nation out of you, right? God says, hey, you look up and see the stars. You're not going to be able to count what your, what, what your family is going to be. And how old was Abraham when he had Isaac? A hundred. That's impressive. Even more impressive the fact that Sarah was 90 and she had a kid, right? You see it, Isaac. Isaac, okay, so where's the big family? Where's, as the stars are kids of mine? Oh, well, Isaac has, what, two kids. You mean this is now hundreds of years and we only got three? We need a generation of people. No, it would take hundreds of years. You'd have the 12 sons that would begin the 12 tribes. 400 years of slavery. And finally, after hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, you have a group of a million. Which is awesome from the fact that the things that we do now, we pass on to the next generation, it allows us to have influence. Man, if we're about the gospel, about the truth of God's word, if, we're, if God is the head of our home and we pass that down and then another generation perpetuates that, how awesome is that? That's how cities and towns change. That's how countries change, how cultures completely change. Why? 
Well, it said, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. You know why? Because he's not speaking. It's his kids that are speaking for him. It's his sons that are speaking for him. He's at advanced age. He's at home. He can't even get to the gate where business was done or where enemies would try to attack. No, he's put so much in his children over such a long period of time that those lessons learned now are protecting his home, protecting his community, standing up and doing what is right. Also, if I'm going to speak to the family, and that's exactly what's listed in this passage, I also got to speak to the influencer too. Many of you have influence over our kids here. Whether they be college age, below. And that influence is massively important. I can give you names of teachers. I don't know what they taught. But I know what they were about. And the, and the things that they did to, to really impact and change. And so please don't take that, that you're one out of every five or six or four, depending on if you, where you serve in children's ministry, as, got to get it done. No, listen, you could say that one thing that, believe it or not, God will use the rest of that person's life. I can tell you it happened. It happened with me. Miss Betty did that over and over with me. She would say things that I just could not forget that impacted a change. And that's where this idea of family spreads beyond just inside the home, but to the full church. The question is, is when we're going to be attacked, who's going to stand up with us? Well, if we've done the long game of, of training, if you've taken advantage of the opportunities to learn and grow, not if those moments come, when those moments come, you'll be prepared. Number three, I'm almost finished. So as we kind of encapsulate this whole thought in, uh, of today, it really comes to this. Like if you were to say, what did you learn today? Well, God's sovereign work in us brings true value to our work and our families and ultimately the church. God's sovereign work in us, it's a long process. If he's building, if we say, look, we're going to get out of the way, it's not my effort, what I've done brings value to our work, to our families, and to our church. So if you, the first thought that comes to your mind when I say, who is building your home, who is it? Is it, is it the next house or the next whatever? I'm not against people buying and selling and moving. Is it all of your work and effort that's going to create this? Man, I'm, going to, I'm going to. Men specifically, but ladies too, is your work, what you do, more important than the people that you live with, your family? I think if you're a man, there's just responsibility you feel, and it can really encapsulate what your life is. And then can you imagine at the end of life, the only thing you did you felt what you accomplished was your work. That happens in ministry all the time. Kids who've grown up in and around and all throughout the church, they don't want any part of it. Because to a degree, whether I think they realize it or not, they feel like their family was married to the church. But that happens in every job where that, that, that next dollar 
So is your work more important than your family? When God blesses your home, because of the talent and ability he's given you, and and when he blesses your home in and through you, who do you give the credit to? Is it about what you've done? About the hours you put in? Boy, I tell you what, I put in my hours every week for my family. Well, good job. There's your reward. Don't expect one in heaven because you just got it. Well, look at them, boy. They are such a good worker. Who gets the credit? By the way, that's another difference that we can live out. We don't have to talk about, but you can live out. Parents, don't forget. Don't forget. Days are long. Years go fast. And all these moments. Don't miss. Don't get so busy. Put the phone down. I'm speaking to me. You don't, want to get, you don't want to have a child that leaves your house and you don't know them or don't want to be around them. Well, I fully understand there was some real practicality to today, okay? I understand that. I just think we hear so much of how things are going instead of talking about how things can change and be part of that change. That if our homes are strong, if our church is strong, We can help make our community strong. We can influence, and there can be real, definitive change. And no matter what the political climate is, what the economic climate is, right? All these things we constantly hear about. Yet, if the Lord doesn't build it, it's not worth building. If the Lord doesn't protect us, it's not worth it fooling with. And if we're not putting into our homes... What he's called us to do. No wonder things are the way they are. But we can be the difference. We can be the change. And and that's why we need to go back to passages like this and say, yes, totally different culture. Totally different culture. But man, there's a lot of truth in how a Jewish family was raised and lived that we can apply right here to us. So instead of praying yet, I want to do one thing. As part of closing, in just a moment, um, Danny Walker is going to pray for us. But I'm not, I can't allow this particular day to go through and not recognize some people. So, of course, today's 9 11, uh, 2022, 21 years ago. Life kind of changed for a lot of us, right? I was in a chapel sermon. Believe it or not, on my way to chapel and on my little Palm Pilot with a little, with a little uh, uh, antenna that you pull over because it didn't have it like built in. And I'm like, oh man, y'all, some, have y'all heard what's happened? Something's happened. Of course, they didn't have that. They were like, no, what are you talking about? Sit down in your seat. <laughs> it's chapel time. But then we'd find out throughout the day what God allowed. And so if you are a first responder, if you're a firefighter, if you're a police officer, or if you're, you serve in a branch of military, we're going to ask that you stand, and we want to recognize you just for a moment and say thank you for all that you do. So if you're a police officer, firefighter, if you're in the medical community, and if you're in the military, if you'd stand for us just a moment or have family in military, because some of you, your family served or is serving, 
We want you to stand for just a moment, and we want to recognize you if you'll stand. Amen. Medical community, fire, police, amen. And military, of course. Well, let's thank all these individuals right now. Thank you so much for what you do. You, you, you see things every day that we know nothing of. And we're very grateful for what you put in daily. So in the event, if something happens again, not only will we have wonderful people that sacrifice, but we'll have believers living out the gospel in those moments. Now we've all stand. Brother Danny's going to pray for us. Thank you so much for being attentive today. Today has been a day not about us, but about you. So, Father, we pray that, that our worship today, that our singing, the preaching, that our thoughts and attitudes and hearts have been a pleasing aroma to you, Father, because it is about you. It's about your work through us, but it's your work. So, Father, I pray as we leave here today, we leave here with the presence of your Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. But it's not about our lives, it's the lives of those that we're around and that you give us opportunities to reach out and to touch. Lord, create opportunities for us to share your love with the world, but the world here in Anderson. And as we can give, as Jeff has preached and sinned and, and all that, that's great. Help us to do that as well. But Lord, it's about our sacrifice of not just our money, but our time and our energy and our day. Change our lives. Let our agendas not be our agendas, but let them be your agendas as we leave here today. And Father, I pray that whatever our workplace is, wherever it is, that you bear fruit through us, that we can give you glory. Lord, it's about you. And so we just praise you and love you. Thank you today for the freedom that we have to worship you. We can do that here in America. I don't know for how long, but we can today. So we're even grateful for that. So, Lord, as we leave here, again, let us walk wisely and make our time effective for the time that we have here on earth. We love and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.